Amen. Thank you, Marilyn. Uh, just one practical thing to mention really quickly this morning. If you're uh, with us and you have uh, some little children, uh, you will notice that our, uh, our previously convenient children's space at the back is no more. Uh, if you need a space for your little ones or for nursing or anything like that, if you walk right out those back doors, the first room on the left is our farm room and our children's hall. You're welcome to go back there and uh, have some, some space or some privacy there. Let me pray for us. God, we ask this morning that you would be with us to hear your word in spirit and in heart. And you would help us to believe and you would help us to repent in the unique ways that only you know in our hearts and lives that we need to be encouraged to keep going forward in faith, even in suffering. Would you help us? And in ways that only you know in our heart and our mind and our lives that we need to repent, turn. Would you help us to do that by your spirit and by your word? We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Charles Spurgeon said, No one is so miserable as the poor person who maintains the appearance of wealth. Do you consider yourself poor? Thank you, Michael. Do you consider yourself rich? The Bible's filled with words, warnings, prophecies, stories, proverbs, examples, and instruction about money and possessions. And I think if we look through Scripture as a whole, which we don't have time entirely this morning to do, we'll find really two themes, at least two, probably more, but at least two themes that run through the Bible when it comes to money. One of them is that One's wealth is often opposite what appears. One's wealth is often opposite what you might see or think. The other is that the Lord makes rich and the Lord makes poor. A few examples of this in Exodus chapter 12, verse 35 through 36. The people of Israel are being led out of Egypt. They've just been rescued from the Egyptians who have been oppressing them for 400 years. The Israelites have nothing. But the Lord has given them favor because of Abraham, because of his sovereign will to choose them as his people. And following in accordance with Moses, at the end of that 400 years, the people of Israel had done what Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. This is after they've been plagued 10 times and their firstborn died favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they gave them and let them have what they asked. Thus they, the Israelites, plundered the Egyptians. The Lord makes poor and the Lord makes rich. And he often makes that a reversal. And we see this in 1 Samuel chapter 2 when Hannah is in a prophesying kind of prayer looking forward to the rise of King David and the fall of King Saul through all of 1 Samuel. And Hannah, in the second chapter, prays after receiving a, a child miraculously, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. 
He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. The Lord makes poor, the Lord makes rich. Proverbs 13, 7 says this, one pretends to be rich yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor yet has great wealth. And Mary and her Magnificant, the celebration of the coming of Christ upon inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prayed, God has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The one who is appearing to be rich is often found to be poor. The one who appears to be poor is often found to be rich through the grand narrative of Scripture and the Lord makes rich and makes poor those things in mind, let me ask you again, are you poor or are you rich? What often appears to be very rich is actually very poor. That which is poor often actually is very rich. If the Lord Jesus were to come today and renew all things and fully establish his kingdom and reverse as he has promised to do all things in the world, would Jesus come to you and find you poor and exalt you to riches? Or would Jesus come to find you rich, to be brought low into poverty? We're in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. What we see in these two chapters is that Jesus is going among each church, each of the seven churches, representing the experience of the church as a whole during the church age. And Jesus is seen as a priest among the lampstands in the temple, the place of worship before God. And Jesus is going from lampstand to lampstand as a priest did in the temple, making sure that every flame and every lampstand is lit continually day and night. And Jesus is going from lampstand to lampstand, finding that some church's flame is flickering, to say the least. And he comes to this church in Laodicea. And he comes to the church in Laodicea, and he finds this church saying, in chapter 3, verse 17 in Revelation, I am rich. That's their answer. I have prospered and I need nothing. But are they rich? Are we? Are you truly rich? Look at the fullness of verse 17, Revelation 3, 17. Jesus comes to the church in Laodicea. This is the situation. For you say, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. That's the situation in Laodicea. Let it sink in. You think that you are rich, but you're poor and naked. That's the situation. They actually believe themselves to be rich. No one looks at them and sees them as rich. They are convinced that they themselves are rich. 
Friends, is that us? Is this us? Are we rich and have prospered and say that we have need of nothing? Consider that in one degree or another, the answer is yes for all of us who are here. Consider the median household income in Austin is $76,000. That may be a lot of money to you. That may be half of what your actual household income is. Does anyone know the global median household income? $9,733. We are living, if you're here and you live in Austin, if not, you're a guest, you're just getting rolled in for the day. We're living in one of the fastest growing cities in the United States, possibly even the world. High rises are being built at the domain just down the street from us. The downtown skyline is riddled with Cranes and skyscrapers being built. We have an F1 track. Houses can't be built fast enough. The price of wood is skyrocketing on short supply. You want to know someone's wealthy, just go to Home Depot and watch them buy wood. You'll know. Technology companies are flocking here from other parts of the country. For example, California, for the first time in 2020, for the first time in California's history, they actually decreased in population. And we all know where they're coming. They're coming here, all of them. We now have a new professional soccer stadium that's just been built right behind us with the new Apple campus coming in our other front yard. Tesla's coming. Every road is being built. Well, that's not true. Not every road's being expanded. I've got a few that I'd like to report. (laughs) Roads are being expanded and widened for more people as more money, more industry comes here and technology is growing and growing and we have more and more expensive technology and all this is good right all this technology has increased the city growing this is all good there's one way in which technology may not be so good I saw mentioned this week that with the rise of self-driving vehicles that it will only be a matter of time until there's a country song about a guy's truck leaving him I mean, that is a dad joke right there. (laughs) Takes one to know one, I'm just saying. (laughs) You know you're rich if you're joking about your own car leaving you on its own. That's the market that we live in. Why bring this up? Why bring up the wealth that we live in 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 numbers? It'd be really easy just to turn this into an easy, cheap shot guilt sermon. You all need to feel bad because you're so rich. That's not really the angle here. The point is to be very clear that we are more than rich enough to say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I have need of nothing. We're more than rich enough to believe our own wealth. There are places in the world that I've been where if you told that to them, they would laugh at you. I have nothing. I don't mean I have less than you. I mean I don't have anything. Anything. 
But we are wealthy enough to be in danger of living in that mindset. I am rich. I have prospered. I've built things. I've gone up the ladder, and I don't need anything. And that's what's happening in Laodicea. They're rich. They're abounding in material resources. They've acquired wealth, which means they've stored up an abundance of possessions. And they don't need anything. Laodicea is that place, see if this sounds familiar, where it's hard to buy birthday and Christmas presents for each other because you don't know what to get them because they already have what? Everything. What do I even buy them that they don't already have? Maybe this shows up in our prayers or lack of prayer. We don't need much, so we don't pray much. Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. A prayer trusting in the sufficiency of God's daily provision in our lives. But why pray that when you can feed yourself? Why pray that if you are rich and have prospered and have need of nothing. Maybe this shows up in our self-isolation. I don't need the church. I don't need to be prayed for. I don't need to be encouraged by others. I don't need help. I don't need counsel. I don't need direction from others. I'm self-sufficient in my life. And we might be tempted to believe that this is a letter written about that church down the street that's so wealthy. That big church that has the huge screen and the, the big band and the music and all of those things. But if there's anyone in the world who can say, I'm rich and have acquired wealth and have need of nothing, it is certainly us. And friends, be very careful. This is a very dangerous, a very perilous place to be. You may take great joy in your prosperity and great comfort not needing anything, but you are in great danger. Because riches in the world have a tendency to blind us to the fact that we are poor in our soul. Jesus spoke about it this way, Luke 9, 25. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? This is what Jesus is warning the church about in Laodicea. Church, you're very rich when I look at what's in your hands. But you are wretched, poor, pitiable, blind, and naked when I look what's in your heart. You are rich in the things of the world, poor in the things of the Spirit and of God. This is dangerous. This is deadly the prosperity of the world could cost you everything in the end. Jesus said it this way in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Why is it easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which we all know is virtually impossible, unless you're going to be one of those literalists who talk about dissecting it and cutting it up and you know, put one piece at a time. It can't go through. It's, so, it's hard like that for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because rich people love their money. They get attached to it. And when it comes to time to choose between the kingdom of God and the money that you have in your hands, well, 
You could get a camel through the eye of a needle before you can get him to let go of his money. Remember the rich young ruler who would not make the trade himself when it was offered. He was offered the kingdom, but he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions, Mark says. What does Jesus say when he comes to this lampstand and finds them bloated with wealth? When Jesus comes to this church and finds them treasuring the things in their hand, impoverished in their heart and their soul, what is his reaction? In short, Jesus wants to throw up. It makes him want to vomit. The word there, emeo, that you might have spit out or spew out, it means vomit. I vomit. That's what the word means. So thankful for the New English translation, which is only online. I find it helpful in many ways. And they have this note on why they put vomit instead of spit out. I like this note. I think it's helpful and important. They said this is the literal meaning of the Greek verb emeo. It's usually translated with a much weaker term like spit out due to the unpleasant connotations of the English verb vomit. The situation confronting the Laodicean church is a dire one, however, and such term is necessary if the modern reader is to understand the gravity of the situation. He wants to vomit. Let me ask you a question. What makes you gag? What makes you want to throw up? What is that thing that when you smell it, you have that certain reaction that you can't really control. It comes from deep down, and you can only hope in that moment you, you hadn't had pizza and too much Coke for lunch, let's just say. Maybe it's other people's vomit that has that effect. I'm seeing some moms go, today, that actually, yes, that happened. I've experienced some baby diapers that make it hard to get back in there. For me, a jar of the right flavor of baby food, not even chewed up yet, will do it. Maybe it's the cider smell of rotten food. Maybe you have a dog at home. You step in something in the middle of the night. You smell it. You realize what it is, and you have a reaction. Maybe you've drunk a nice glass of cold milk only to get into the second gulp before you feel a chunk, and you smell how putrid it is. What's your response? For Jesus, the church that bears his name but sits back in their wealth lazily saying, I have need of nothing, makes him want to vomit. It's gross. Like that. Maybe some of you would say, you know, that's my problem with the church, too. It's all about money, it seems like. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're not a Christian and you've been considering Christianity, or maybe you weren't considering Christianity, you're here anyway. And one of the things that's a hang-up for you is that the church seems to be all about money. The church itself seems to be a channel of wealth, a means for preachers and teachers to line their own pockets, or that it's an organization that gives favor to wealthy people. 
Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, who gets to come eat? It's the rich people who come to the Lord's Supper. It's the poor people that actually go away hungry. And there's favoritism for money. Pastors have personal planes. They've made millions upon millions. I'm speaking third party here, not talking about this church. Very lucrative business being in ministry. Friends, if that's something that concerns you, let me give you two things. One, that's not a normal church. That's not a biblical, faithful church. That does not represent Jesus Christ. It's not normal. What's normal is thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of little churches all over the world who get together because they believe in Jesus They don't have much money. They don't have much influence. They barely make their budgets. They get together to hear the word preached. They get together to disciple each other and pray for each other. They help each other when they are in need. They love each other. That's the true church. What Jesus is actually doing is making the same distinction that you make. That's not the normal church. The second thing I would say is that church makes Jesus sick first. You don't have a a higher righteous view of the church if you have a disdain for churches that love wealth and forsake Christ, that love wealth and forsake the poor. You don't have a higher view than Jesus does of the church. This is Jesus' view of those who claim to be churches of Christ but love wealth instead. No one's more disgusted about people calling themselves the church for the sake of personal gain than Jesus No one's more disgusted by people who claim to follow Jesus but sit back lazily in their wealth than Jesus. In fact, it makes him want to throw up. When Jesus looked at Jerusalem as one who did not have a shepherd, he felt compassion for them in his gut. When Jesus heard that his friend Lazarus had died, tears came out of his eyes. When Jesus prayed in the garden for himself, And for his disciples, sweat came off of his forehead like blood. When Jesus got a whiff of Laodicea, he gagged. That is the image this verse is creating for us. It's not just that Jesus is enraged, not that he's just disappointed, but that he looks at the church there who has everything you could imagine in the world, but our poor and impoverished in soul and says, that makes me sick. Friends, I think we ought to make sure that we leave today going, God, if I'm not made sick by that, help me smell it like you smell it. Help me count richness like you count richness. Help me search the poverty of my heart and my hands in righteousness like you do. God, if I'm only appearing wealthy in the world, but I'm impoverished in my heart, help me hate it like you hate it. Help me have the same response that you do. Maybe that's for your own heart. Maybe that's for your own mind. Maybe that's for the church. That when we see it in each other's lives, we don't help it. We don't excuse it. We don't explain it. We are sick of it. We don't like it. What does the church or anyone do 
who has wealth in their hands, but are wretched, poor, pitiable, and naked in their hearts. Jesus has some instruction for the church in Laodicea and for us. First, be zealous to be useful. Be zealous to be useful. Chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus says to the church there, he begins what he says to every church, I know your works. I know you and your life. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, one or the other. Now, what does Jesus mean? Jesus doesn't mean, I wish he would just be all the way good or all the way bad. I wish he would just be really good or really wicked, as if that were kind of Jesus' preference. Just be, I don't care which you are, just as long as you're one or the other. I don't think that's what Jesus means at all. I think some geographical context for the city of Laodicea is going to be helpful for us. Pastor Nate Juan Sanchez helps us with this context, as do several other commentaries. The Laodiceans themselves didn't have natural drinking water. The local water supply contained calcium carbonate, which when you drank it, made you vomit. As a result, they depended on nearby cities for their drinkable water. Hierapolis had naturally hot water. But by the time it traveled to Laodicea via aqueducts, it was lukewarm, useless for cooking or for cleaning. Colossae, the other direction, had a cold water supply. But by the time that it traveled to Laodicea via aqueduct, it too was lukewarm. Refreshing in Colossae, lukewarm in Laodicea. We all know that cold water refreshes. Refreshes your whole body, mind, soul, and spirit. And we all know that hot water makes good tea. And it cleans the dishes. And it's useful. Lukewarm water, it's just gross. It's just gross. Jesus is saying to the rich, lazy church in Laodicea, be hot or cold. Be useful one way or the other. See the correlation in verse 19. Look at verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. The opposite of lukewarm here is zeal. Be eager to walk with Jesus and do the works that Jesus has for you rather than be comfortable and self-centered and rich with the world's stuff. Repent from lukewarmness by being zealous for usefulness. Be as zealous as you are for worldly riches, for, for spiritual riches as you are for worldly riches. Be as zealous about how much is in your bank account from how much is in your heart. How many times a day, how many times a week are you checking your 401k or your stocks or your savings or your investments? Check God's word more. Check the treasures in the gospel more often. How much time do you spend scrolling Pinterest, planning out the next thing that you're going to buy? Repent. Give more zeal and more energy to planning and calculating who you're going to be discipling and which neighbor you're going to love this week. 
Be more zealous about scrolling through the member directory, considering how you could encourage people through prayer and love than you spend scrolling through Facebook judging people. Be more zealous about giving money than keeping money. Be more zealous about tithing to your local church than tithing to your games. Care for your local pastors, for missions, and for the facilitation of this discipleship building. Give to others in need. Be more zealous to to give to others than to keep for yourself. Be hot or cold. Be useful. Friends, we all need rest. We all need alone time. And I, of all people in this church, am an introvert. I get it, but when the church of Jesus Christ drives home every day and shuts their car in their garage and ignores their neighbors while their neighbors are rich in the world but poor to God, stuck in sin, I think it makes Jesus sick. Be like Jesus, as we'll see in a minute. Go knock on someone's door. Go knock on someone's door. What are you doing Tuesday this week? What about Thursday? Or Friday this week. You already have some money set aside for a product. You're already saving some money for some event. Friends, the expenses in our bank accounts and the appointments on our calendars are helpful indicators of whether we are saying in our minds, I am rich and have prospered and I don't need anything, or whether we are zealous to be useful the kingdom of God. Don't be lukewarm. Be hot or cold. Be useful in one way or another. It's like Jesus saying, either is fine. I'll, I'll take Hierapolis or Colossae as long as we're doing something and not setting back in the comfort of our wealth. So the first thing is be zealous for usefulness. The second thing that Jesus tells the church and us is by from Jesus' zero-dollar store. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 18. I counsel you, having seen that you say that you are rich but are really poor, I counsel you to buy from me three things. Watch. Gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. That's one. The second white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And lastly, buy from Jesus salve to anoint your eyes so that you can see. What exactly is Jesus selling in his store? What, what, what is Jesus offering in his market stand? First, pure refined gold. Come buy from me pure refined gold. Gold that's refined by fire for the purposes of you being rich. What I have for you is not that 10 karat gold stuff your junior high boyfriend bought for you. It's 24 karat gold, which means 24 out of 24 pure gold. All parts of it are gold. No cheap metals mixed in. No knockoff version purses at this store. No fake jewelry here to turn your fingers green. 
In Jesus' store, the only thing he has to offer is pure, true, incomparable riches. True wealth. Jesus says, come buy from me so that you may be rich. Now, I think it probably doesn't need a ton of explaining to say Jesus isn't walking around from church to church with gold bars saying, I've got a discount for you. He's speaking about spiritual things. They've already got gold bars. You need pure wealth that I alone can give to you. Unstained clothes, he says, come Buy from me unstained or garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. That's a garment, a robe for you to cover the shame of sin, the shame of your nakedness, your being exposed, Laodicea. I want to cover that up. You show everyone your wealth but hide your sin. I see your sin and want to cover that up. No earthly treasure, not a job or an amount of money can hide shame. No amount of money, nothing that you can buy can hide the shame of sin. Not trying to take a cheap shot here, but just ask Bill Gates. Previously the richest man in the world, now in the news of his divorce, and shameful past at his workplace, there's not an amount of money in the world that could pay off a reporter. Not an amount of money in the world that can take away what it's like to be seen and known in your sin. But Jesus seems to have this in his store. A a garment that will cover up the shame of your sin being exposed. The other thing that Jesus is selling is medicinal eye salve. Salve for your eyes. The Laodicean Medical School was known for a popular eye medicine known as Phrygian powder. And it was a source of Laodicean wealth. Jesus is saying, you're known for this, your city is known for this, but I have something that can heal your true eyes. The eyes of your mind and spirit and heart. Come to me and buy the medicine for your soul so that your soul can see clearly and you can see the world clearly. It's one thing to have salve for your eyes and have makeup on your face. It's another thing to be, see, be able to see the world as it is in all of its beauty and truthfulness. Well, friends, I think if we begin to consider what it is that Jesus is offering us, we might be thinking rightly so, this is starting to look expensive. How could I afford such a thing? How could I even afford that? Where would you, where would I even begin to make an offer to to buy those things from Jesus? You ever have those moments when you get to the counter and the price is rung up and you realize, hmm, I can't do that today. I can't afford that. 
Everything gets up there. The clerk starts ringing everything up, and they're waiting for you to make payment. And you have to say, you know what, I, I, I can't afford that piece of jewelry today. Let's put that back. I can't afford that gold today. You go shopping. You put it all up on the counter. It gets rung up, and you realize, I can't afford this dress today. I can't afford these shoes, this robe You've certainly had one of those moments maybe where you thought, I cannot afford this medicine. I can't pay for this medicine today. I can't afford it. I have to wait. When we get to Jesus and we say to Jesus, with all this this gold and these clothes for my shame, for my soul, this medicine for my eyes, Jesus How can I possibly pay for this? What's this going to cost? What does Jesus say? You can't afford it, but I've already paid for it for you. I have already purchased these things for you. When you come to Jesus, you have the greatest treasure, the greatest wealth there is, pure gold, Pure wealth that no one can can buy. And when we come to Jesus, there's clothing for us. There's his hiding our sin by by seeing it, exposing, covering it himself. When we come to Jesus, we have the chance to go from confusion in the world, from darkness in the world, from living in anxiety, unable to see our way forward. And Jesus saying, here, let me give you the healing to your eyes. What is that going to cost us, Jesus? I've already paid for it. My Proverbs 31 of a wife is in a group in our neighborhood called the Buy Nothing Group. And it connects you to people in your area, and everyone just shares stuff that's already been paid for but want to give away. Uh, a while back during the winter, our oldest, our, our, all of our girls were going to visit Colette's sister in Pennsylvania. And they knew that it, uh, there was snow on the forecast there for several days. And, of course, you know, it's a problem for us. We don't own clothes like that, right? We're, we're not ready for things. like we're, And even after this year, we're still not going to be ready next year for stuff like this. So Colette just had the thought, I'm just going to post on the, the Buy Nothing group that one of our girls is looking for some snow boots to see if anyone has anything available. The next morning, we're at breakfast early at our house, and the doorbell rings in the morning, which doesn't happen in the morning, really, period, anyway. Our dog freaks out as he does. He goes crazy. He's barking, acting protective. You know, he's, you, know you think Laodicea is rich, but they're actually poor. My dog thinks he's brave. He's actually a coward, but he's barking nonetheless. We, we go to the door, open the door, and there's a brand new box, brand new, perfect size snow boots dropped off at our door from the buy nothing group. No one ever buys anything in this group. It's always already paid for and given. We've had orange juice. We've given things away. We could give some more things away cost nothing to us. Friends, this is the kind of store that Jesus is running. The kind of economy that Jesus 
is into. It's a zero-dollar store. You can't buy this stuff. This is a buy-nothing group because you can't buy it. It can only be given to you. The gold, you can't afford this gold. You can't afford this wealth. This garment that, that covers shame. It's one thing to have some good, some good clothes to put on that cover us when we go to work, but you can't cover shame. You can't buy clothes that cover shame. It's good to have makeup. It's good to have contact lens formula. You, you can't buy the salve that makes you see in your soul. It can only be given from Jesus Christ. That's the first thing we read this morning in our service, Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come and buy and eat. Friends, this is what it means to be a Christian, to come and believe that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins, and that when he died on the cross for our sins, he was bringing to us all of God's treasures, God himself. Remember Jesus on the cross, what his experiences were like, just to take one of those three things that Jesus is offering. When Jesus was on the cross, all of his clothes were ripped off. And Jesus was there naked in shame on the cross. Shame before men who mockingly wrote King of Jews over his head, but also in shame before God because our sin was exposed on Christ. Therefore, it says, God, that day the clouds grew dark. When the clouds grew dark, Jesus looked into heaven and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus was poor and pitiable and wretched because our sin was on him. But he died and he rose from the grave so that his blood would wash away our sins and that his resurrection and his righteousness would be as a robe to cover our nakedness. He went through the cross, rose from the grave to cover us with his, wreckedness, uh, or with his righteousness. That's what it means to be a Christian. To have my sin forgiven, to have my sin covered by Jesus' righteousness on the cross for me. And I believe it and I trust it. And I know that in Christ I'm rich. The Lord makes poor, the Lord makes rich. And that's what it means for Jesus to come down the cross for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. That by Jesus losing everything on the cross, he would give us forgiveness of our sin, the covering of our shame and eternal life. Friends, just put your faith in Jesus today for that. Believe in Jesus today for that. Thirdly, Jesus says, finally, hear my voice. Open the door and eat with me. Three things in one. Hear my voice, open the door, eat with me. Chapter, Revelation chapter three, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, what does Jesus mean by all this? Standing at the door and knocking, if anyone hears my voice. Pretty typically, this is kind of a, um, a passage used for evangelism. We're going to tell people, hey, Jesus is knocking at the heart of your door. If you'll let Jesus into your heart, then, then you'll be saved. And there may be an angle and aspect for, for this, but consider the context and the picture that we're seeing here in this wealthy city of Laodicea. Jesus has just told the church to come and buy from me. And where does Jesus say that he's standing? He's standing at the door, knocking 
saying, come buy things from me. Does this sound familiar to you? Someone knocking at your door saying, come buy things from me? Is this familiar to anybody else? This is my life. I play with my kids. I preach at church. I meet salesmen at the door. That's what I do. We get it all the time. Pest control, internet, home security, vacuum salesmen. Never let a vacuum salesman in your house unless you plan to minister to them somehow. They're going to be there for a while. Salesmen knocking on the door as kind as can be. I want to sell you something I think you need, but you probably don't. And here's Jesus with this picture saying, I got something for you to buy. I'm standing at the door and knocking. And can you imagine a salesman knocking on your door and saying, hey, I got something to sell you. And if you'll let me in, we could eat together. Is it dinner time yet? That's, it smells good in there. I, no one talks like that. Jesus isn't just selling stuff. Jesus is offering to come in himself. Jesus isn't a salesman showing up with a pitch for you to come buy stuff. Jesus showing up with an arm full of true wealth, a robe to cover your shame, and saying, hey, let me in. Let's eat. Salesmen don't come in to eat. Friends do. Jesus wants to come in and fellowship and give you what he has to offer. And listen, I've gotten really good personally. In fact, I'm kind of pride myself on opening the door halfway to a salesman, peeking out, holding back the dog, talking to my kids so that the salesman know I've got kids back here and saying, what do you want? I want to give you this thing. We're fine. We don't need that. Yeah, but I just, we're fine. We don't need that. As kind as possible. And then I just start shrinking the door back before they can say anything else. And here, here's what Jesus is saying. Lay to see if you're not careful. I am going to be at the door Gold, robe, eye salve in hand, and knock and ask to come in, and you're going to answer and say, we don't need anything. I'm rich. We have prospered. I'm in need of nothing. What a shame. What a shame. If you're like me, the knock on the door as an introvert just generally feels like a disruption. Jesus is knocking to come in and eat with you, to be with you, to save you from your sin, to give you life and healing medicine, and make you rich with things you could never possibly afford. Riches I heed not, nor vain empty praise. You're my inheritance, 
now and always. You and you only, first in my heart, high King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Let that be our song. And we will be rich, our shame will be covered, and our eyes will be opened. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your goodness, your kindness to us in that you continue to love us and tend us like a gardener and care for us like a father and disciplines a child. In whatever ways we need to, Father, would you help us to heed the, the warnings and the callings in this passage? Help us not be lovers of money. Help us be good stewards of it, but help us let it go and keep a, a loose grip on it. Help us not look at what's in our hands and in our lives and in our driveways to see wealth and riches, whether it is there or not, but to see all of our wealth in you. Help us to be zealous, Father. Help us to be zealous to usefulness and not lukewarm. Help us help each other to that end this week. If we see it in one another, help us to lovingly help each other. Think critically and carefully about what we call rich. Thank you, Father. We love you. We pray all these things together. In Christ's name, amen. amen.